Today we have a, a, a very special guest preacher, our, our very own Mario Lagman. Um, he serves as one of our elders here and has quietly but profoundly served the well uh, through hundreds of hours of counseling staff members, leaders, and other members of the church. Mario is a, a constant source of encouragement, wisdom, and, and conviction on our elder team and, and Pastor Matt's life. So let's give him a round of applause as he comes up. Good morning. Let's begin this message with a word of prayer. Dear God, our loving Father in heaven, we ask you to help us experience your loyal love for us. May we feel your embrace as we learn how to live in the presence of the Trinity. May we feel your pursuing love, our Father, the powerful love of the Holy Spirit, and may we delight in the precious love of your Son, Jesus Christ. May this message not only inform us, but transform our lives so that we may gratefully respond to your loyal love for us. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Let me begin this message by reading a story from the Daily Bread devotional from January 31, 2003, entitled The Judge's Compassion. It reads, during his years of mayor, as mayor of New York City, Fiorello LaGuardia sometimes presided as judge in a night court. In one case, a man was found guilty of stealing a loaf of bread. He pleaded that he had committed that theft to feed his starving family. The law is the law, LaGuardia declared. I must therefore fine you $10. When the man sadly confessed that he had no money, the judge took $10 out of his wallet and paid the fine. He also asked each person in the courtroom to contribute 50 cents to help the man. Often, when I share the gospel, I use this human picture of mercy to explain in a dim way God's fulfillment of his perfect justice and infinite grace. But I was thinking, what if in addition to paying for the thief's penalty, the good mayor took him home, provided for him, protected him, and adopted the law violator? And what if he went even further and treated him like his own child? with delight and affection, and gave his name to the adult son, the adopted adult son. Now, if that weren't enough, what if the judge gave this exact same affection, privileges, and rights to any of the thief's family and friends who were also willing to let their violations and crimes be paid for by the mayor? Humanly speaking, that's taking it too far. Now, that totally does not make sense. It is absolutely an irrational kind of love 
from the world's perspective. However, in a perfect and infinite way, God has done this for us by sending Jesus as a perfect payment for our law violation, our sin. When the payment was made, he adopted us, showered us with all spiritual blessings, loved us, and even constantly likes us. The thing is, the thought and appreciation of our salvation loses its value over time when we don't cultivate this relationship. So much so that it does not take hold of our feelings any longer and it diminishes. And as a result, we somehow go through the motions of Christianity without the emotions of Christianity. Christianity becomes cerebral instead of being relational and emotional. What I want to talk about this morning is this felt sense of rescue, relief, and rest in the presence of our loving God and Father because of the finished work of His Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to experience this secure and comforting relationship and how this quality of love from God results in a grateful response to him. The first chapters of Ephesians deal with how wonderfully we have been treated, while the last three chapters deal with a worthwhile response of how we've been treated. We live in the reality that God sent his son to pay for our sins by dying on the cross to bring us back into a relationship with him. This is based on the simple truth that you and I are worth dying for. Let me pause for a minute. If anyone here is wrestling with self-worth issues, let us think of this truth. You and I are worth dying for. This is how much we are worth to God. I've worked with individuals, families, and couples as a psychotherapist for 17 years, and I've observed that the, kind of that the kind of relationships we have determine the quality of our lives. I encourage the people who want to improve their quality of life to work on their individual selves in the context of the relationship. I've seen in my life and in others that what changes lives are relationships. And this certainly applies to our relationship with God. Mark 12, 30 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So we work on our individual selves in the context of our relationship with God and others. Current research on the brain and human behavior heavily emphasize the contribution of relationships to one's thoughts, feelings, and actions. Dr. Daniel Siegel, a UCLA There you go. 
professor and a developer of, the, of interpersonal neurobiology stated in his book, The Developing Mind, that interpersonal relationships create the structure and function of the brain. This totally makes sense because if my relationship experience is unhealthy, full of tension, chaos, and dysfunction, why will I be surprised to have a hyper-alert and anxious brain? On the other hand, opposite is true. If I have a healthy, affectionate, loving, and relaxed relationship, my brain will be functioning more normally, of course, barring other biochemical issues. Furthermore, other attachment researchers such as Dr. Sue Johnson of University of Ottawa and Dr. Edward Tonic of Harvard indicated that staying close to a protective loved one is a main survival strategy of our species. And that proximity calms the nervous system. What do I mean by that? We all, for the most part, have experienced an infant who cries even after they're comfortable, they've been changed, and they're fed, and they still cry, what do we do? We pick them up. The moment we pick them up, bring them close to our hearts, wrap them in our arms, what happens? They calm down. Proximity regulates the nervous system. This emphasizes the point that truly a safe and secure relationship is relieving. From a spiritual perspective, this explains why when we pray, panic turns into peace. Threat turns into trust. Helplessness turns into hope. And chaos turns into calmness because of the proximity of the living and loving God who cares for us and lives within us. That is why Paul was able to write to the Philippians from prison in this way. Philippians 4, 4 and following read, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Proximity regulates the nervous system. And what's the result? Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me point out attachment science and how a sense of safety, trust, acceptance, and security calm our inner beings. As I cite current attachment research, let me also reference Dr. Caroline Leaf, a Christian author and conference speaker, who said that science is catching up with scriptures. Attachment is basically defined as seeking and maintaining a felt sense of connection. It is when we feel safe and secure, 
known and understood. It answers the question, are you there? A-R-E, are you there? This is the question of any human being in a relationship from the cradle to the grave. And you know what? We, when we ask this of our friends, our parents, our loved ones, even our children, we unconsciously ask this question, are you there for me? But you know, God answers, answers this in scriptures, in many verses of, scriptures, of scripture. But you'll see this also in Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. God is basically answering the question for us when we ask, are you there? He's saying, yes, I am. There are three essential elements for effective attachment. In the letters A-R-E, are you there? The first is accessibility. We ask this question in relationships. Do I matter? Am I the most important person in your life? We see this in Ephesians 2.13, when Paul said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What this basically is saying is, Yes, I'm there. You matter so much to me that I sent Jesus to die on the cross for you and I. I am there. You matter to me. Second is responsiveness. It answers or it asks the question, can I rely on you? Again, in relationships, as I work with couples and families, these are the questions that we unconsciously ask ourselves. Can I rely on you when I'm emotionally distressed? Distressed, can I rely on you that you will comfort me and be relieved by your presence? God answers this in 1 John 5.14. This is the confidence which we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We want to be seen and heard. And so what happens here is that when we're distressed and someone hears us, sees us, and they come to us, proximity regulates the nervous system. There's a sense of safety and security. And God said, he hears us. Last one is engagement. So A-R-E, are you there? 
acceptance, responsiveness, engagement. Engagement asks the question, are you involved in my life? Am I known and understood? John 10, 27 to 30 answers this question. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So there's engagement. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. We are secure in the hands of Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father. These verses talk not only about engagement, involvement, and feeling known and understood, but they underscore safety and security. The love of the Father does not need to be earned, but is rather freely given based on the character and consistency of a kind and loving God sustained by the sacrifice of the Son and sealed by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Dr. David Ekman, former dean of Western Seminary in Los Gatos, California, stated in his Becoming What God Intended seminars that what better way to look at relationships than how the Trinity relates to one another loyally, unconditionally, powerfully, and emotionally. Living our lives patterned after a circle of unconditional acceptance of the Trinity is how we should relate to each other. It's an other-centered relationship where the Father sends the Son, the Son glorifies the Father, the Father sends the Spirit. God made us for relationships, connection, and community, and God is a community being in his triunity. It starts with the pursuing love of the Father and the priceless love by the Son along with a powerful and emotional environment of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. We then live in the presence of the Trinity. So our text this morning, I divided into three. First, Verses 14 and 15, the reparenting by God the Father. 16, the regeneration of God the Holy Spirit. And verses 17 to 19, the relationship with God the Son. Now, why do we have to be reparented by God the Father? Because the family of origin is a very powerful force that shapes a person either for ill or for good. For a big part of our lives, our sensory receptors have been exposed to the functioning of our family as we grow up. The Old Testament is full of descriptions of how generational sin is transmitted. In Genesis 12, Abraham lied about his relationship with his wife, Sarai. He told her to say that she was his sister. And then in Genesis 28, Isaac told the man of Gerar that his wife, Rebekah, was his sister. He was afraid that they would kill him and take her. Both father and son 
lied about their wives because of their own sense of fear and doubt. Especially in the Old Testament, we can see the theme of man's constant rebellion and God's consistent redemption. Whether we come from a healthy or unhealthy family of origin, we have to be reparented by the ultimate and intended father of everyone because any kind of parenting pales in comparison to God's love, of, God's love, affection, and discipline. We see this in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So he is the ultimate and intended father of everyone. Humanly speaking, we have to improve to gain acceptance. But here, the love of the father is always there and doesn't have to be gained, but has to be responded to. The question is, what am I going to do with the son who gave his life up for me? Being known and understood creates confidence and a healthy response. And when the heart is gripped by the kind of love that does not have to be earned, profound changes naturally comes and enters a person's life. We are loved for who we are, not for what we do or we don't do. We then do things because we want to, not because we have to. We're love for our personhood, not our performance. We see this in 2 Timothy 1.9. This shows us this unconditional acceptance. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the, be <clears throat> excuse me, before the beginning of time. So there was already a resolved commitment. Again, this is not based on performance, but based on our personhood, who we are. We parents, can relate to this. We enjoy our kids even when they drive us nuts. There's just something wildly attractive in our children. And if we feel this way about our children, how much more do we think God feels for us? Second point is the regeneration by God the Holy Spirit or the powerful love of God because of the Holy Spirit, or through the Holy Spirit. We are strengthened to do things through the power of the Holy Spirit because on our own, we will indulge in self-absorption and self-preservation. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit will we be empowered to give the love to others which we infinitely received from the Father. As we experience this, we're able to express it through the power of the Holy Spirit, because again, on our own, we will be so self-consumed. And this gift 
from God through the power of the Holy Spirit, again, it's not earned. It's grace. It's not based on performance. Titus 3, 4, and 6. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, meaning we were dead already. That's the power of the Holy Spirit gave us rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Third point, in living in the presence of a triune God, being embraced by the Trinity. Third point is the relationship with God the Son. There's loyalty and commitment. There's the priceless love of God through Jesus Christ. Verses 17 through 19, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. The dimensions of God's love through Christ is described in the cross. Depth and height, the width, and length. Enduring Word Ministry puts it very well in their comment of Ephesians 3, 17 to 19. The cross pointed in four ways, essentially every direction. God's love, love is wide enough to include every person. You see this in John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through all eternity. And God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner. God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. Romans 8.38 says, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We then live in the presence and in the center of the triune God, being reparented by God the Father, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, while we relate to God the Son. So what's the application here? Enjoy, relax, and bask in God's loyal love. Be blown away 
by how much we are loved and accepted for who we are, our personhood, not for our performance. After meditating on that loyal love of God, label your emotions. How does that make you feel? And see how this grabs you and how it translates to our relationship with God and others. It becomes a response, not a requirement to do good works, but a grateful response for his unfathomable grace and love for us. Another application is this. See, there's a saying that relationships are made out of a thousand little moments. The daily work walking and talking with God each moment through prayer and spending time in his world will develop a vibrant relationship with God. And the opposite is the same. Emotionally distant, stale relationships are also made out of a thousand little moments. Let us examine our relationship with God in how we respond to his loyal love. Another and last application is this. If we are trapped in a habitual sin, or if you are about to sin, sort it out with God the Father in your relationship with him. Sort out with God the Father that the sin that you're about to do has been paid for by Jesus on the cross and ask the Holy Spirit to help you respond to God, to God with his love for you. See if that changes your view of sin. My prayer as I end this message is that this does not only inform us, but really transforms our relationship with God and that we can gratefully respond to his love. Not as a payback, but a grateful response. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we may be able to live in the presence of the Trinity, being conscious of being reparented by God the Father on a regular basis being regenerated by the Holy Spirit as we relate to Jesus. That we will always be reminded of the pursuing of the pursuing love of God the Father, the powerful love of the Spirit, and the priceless, precious love of Jesus. In whose name we pray.